Hello and welcome to Timeless Truths, a sermon podcast from St. Mark Ministries in Greater Green Bay, Wisconsin. Today we have a special Thanksgiving message. In episode 16, let's join Brandon Steenbach as we learn what it takes to be content. So open up your heart, open up your Bible, and let's dig in to these timeless truths. I want to begin with two pictures, two houses. The first a small home built into a cave made of limestone blocks and sticks in a Middle Eastern village 3,000 years ago. As you approach, you can see through the windows, there's a woman in, there, in her mid-50s, she's a widow, taking care of things around the house. It's a small house, not a lot of space, but she has a daughter-in-law who lives with her, also a widow. Together they work to scrape out a living, just trying to survive. The second house is in the bustling city of Rome 2,000 years ago, the height of the Roman Empire. The house has locks on the outside of the doors and bars on the windows and an armed guard in the entryway. Clearly, somebody inside is dangerous. But as you come into the house, you see a man who doesn't look like he's very imposing. In fact, he's short, he's balding, kind of stocky. His face is covered in scars, his nose is crooked as though it's been broken at least a couple of times. Even his hands don't quite stand out straight. But as he talks with somebody, he's dictating a letter and his smile is infectious and the words he pours out are pure joy. Now, if you've been following along with our sermon series this month through the book of Ruth, You might have recognized that first picture as Naomi and Ruth. People who knew God's blessings, that is, they had had husbands, they had had security, they had food, they had what they needed, and now they know need, they know lack, they know humility, as God has left them without husbands, in the middle of a famine, barely enough food to put on the table. The second picture may have not been quite as familiar to you unless you've read some early descriptions of the Apostle Paul. That's how people that knew him personally wrote about him later on. A description of him, short, stocky, bald, scarred face, a smile that can just bring joy to anybody. And he had also known abundance. He knew what it was to enjoy lots of God's blessings. As a a child, he grew up in a well-to-do family. His education was paid for. And even when he became a Christian and many of his own countrymen turned against him, still the Christians around him cared for his needs often. But he also knew what it was to live under difficult circumstances, facing opposition, persecution, imprisonment. But there's one thing that's in common between both of these pictures. What you see are people who regardless of their circumstances, are able to live with thanksgiving, with thankfulness to God. Thanksgiving, that's why we're gathered here, right? To give thanks to God, to remember all of the blessings he's given, and that's a good thing. But thankfulness can be a little bit tricky sometimes, can't it? Right, at one moment you can see all of the blessings that God has put in your life, and then the very next moment you're thinking about how you have to replace that very expensive appliance. You're not sure how you're going to do so. Or you caught wind that 
a bunch of people you know pretty well all got together, but they didn't invite you. Or you remember something that you said or did that has left you feeling embarrassed and a little bit ashamed. And at moments like those, suddenly all that thankfulness flies out the window, right? And do you ever think at those moments, I just, I just wish I could just hang on to it. I just wish I could make myself still feel thankful even when it feels like things just aren't going my way or when it feels like I haven't been given what I think God should give me. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to just say, God is good and I'm all right no matter your circumstances without that angst? Well, it doesn't help that we live in a world that wars against that, right? We have all these voices around us that are constantly telling us to be angry. Angry at the political leaders and how bad, bad of a job they're doing. Angry at the institutions and the corporations that seem to control our lives. Angry at our friends and our family and our neighbors if they don't get it, whatever it is. Angry at ourselves if we don't measure up to whatever expectations we have for ourselves. The problem is that we we listen to those voices, don't we? We listen to them, we give ear to them when they tell us that our thankfulness ought to be dependent on the things that we have. And don't get me wrong, it's not wrong for us to be thankful when God gives us blessings. He gives us family and friends who love us and care for us. That's a reason to be thankful. He gives us food to eat. He gives us stuff to have. He gives us a life we can live. Those are reasons to be thankful. But if our thankfulness towards God is dependent on those things, well, then we run into a problem, don't we? Because when we do... And when God doesn't come through the way we think he ought to, well then, we find ourselves questioning God's goodness. When our thankfulness is dependent on whether or not he's come through for us, then we really end up accusing God of not being good enough to us. And in moments like those, all we're really doing is stealing glory from God. Our lack of thankfulness takes away from God's glory. Because thankfulness should be that we can simply say, God is good, I'll be all right, what he's given me is enough. The Bible gives us a word for that kind of an attitude. Yeah, it talks about thanksgiving, it also talks about contentment. And that's kind of what we're going to focus on tonight as we look at Philippians 4, verses 11 to 13, where Paul talks about what that word contentment really means. And I believe that contentment is the key to thanksgiving, to having true thankfulness. And I wanted to explore this passage this year because I struggle with contentment. My struggle with contentment is really with contentment with myself. The problem I have is that I'm always setting goals for myself. I'm always trying to, to achieve the next thing, do the next thing, you know, shed that one bad habit, form that new good habit, do whatever. And it's like, I have this ideal in my head, right? There's this Brandon who's always just a little bit better than I am. And I me- if I measure up to him, then I'm doing good. You know what the problem is? I never measure up to him. Because he's always just a little bit better than wherever I am. And so I, I can't just be content with who God has made me to be and where he's put me because I'm always comparing myself to something beyond me. 
maybe that resonates for you a little bit, or maybe your struggle with contentment and peace is in a, a different place. But either way, I think Paul has a lot of good things to say to us about this. So let's take a look at what he has to say. First, I want to give you a little context. Paul is writing this letter, Philippians, to Christians in the Greek city of Philippi. It's on the northern coast of the Aegean Sea. Many of these Christians came to faith through Paul's preaching. He baptized many of them. Now, as he's living under house arrest in Rome, he's writing this letter to urge them to find joy in Jesus at all times and to let their actions be driven by that joy. And towards the end of the letter, he wants to acknowledge that they've given him a gift. They sent him some financial assistance to help him sort of meet his physical needs while he's in prison and awaiting trial. And he wants to tell them, yes, I I appreciate the gift that you gave me, but I don't need it. And here's why. And that's where we pick up with verse 11. Let's take a look at what he says. Paul writes, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. As he's drawing close to the end of his letter, Paul is using precise and sometimes very sparse language. You know, of course, that the Bible wasn't written in English. We're translating it from another language. And the benefit of the Greek language that Paul wrote in is you pack a lot of meaning into just a few words. If you look at it, he really just says, I have known low circumstances, or rather I have known humility, and I have known abundance, he says. He doesn't go far beyond that other than to give a little definition, being hungry, being well-fed, being in need, and having plenty. But what we should note is that he doesn't provide much of a comparison between the two in terms of which one is better or which one is worse, right? He doesn't say, oh, it's better to, be, to have lots or it's better to not have lots. He just sets them together as though they're equal. Because at this point in his life, he sees blessings in both situations. Whether he has enough to eat or not, whether he has enough stuff around him or not, whether, whatever it is, whatever his situation, Paul says he's learned the secret of being content, of being able to say, it's all good. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice if, whether you're on your last can of tuna or you've got to give food away just to make space on the shelves, you could say, it's all good. I'm not worried at all. I think that's hard for a lot of us, and I think most of us would say, Paul, let me in on the secret, man. What is the secret? Is it possible to learn it? But but we need to know something, that the word he uses for secret there is a word for initiation. That is, it's something you can only know when when somebody's brought you through something. Somebody has initiated you into this knowledge. It also carries the idea of being disciplined into knowledge. You have to learn by experience. Let me give you an example. You can know that running a marathon is difficult, or you can know that running a marathon is difficult, right? 
You understand the difference, right? Like, on the one hand, you could be like, I see the training plan, I see the miles, that looks hard. Or you could say, I've done the training plan, I've run the miles, it was hard. And Paul is saying the secret of contentment is the, the latter one. It's something that he has learned by living it. And so it's not something that someone could just tell you, you have to live it. And yet he writes for us, what is that secret? What is contentment about? What does he say? I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You maybe have heard this verse before and you've heard, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's kind of an insertion into the text. Paul doesn't actually use that name here, but it's clear that's who he's talking about. That's the him that he's connecting to. And his connection to Christ is his source of strength for contentment. Actually, he talks about strength in two different ways. First, he says, I can do, or I am strong enough. Really, he just, it's all just one word. I am strong for all things, he says. Or I am able in everything. And then he turns and says, through Christ who strengthens me. Now here, I don't want to bore you with Greek grammar, but this is a present active participle. What that means is that it's an activity that is happening and continues happening. It's an ongoing activity. In other words, he's not saying this is a one-time strengthening. It's not that Christ strengthened him once, now he's got it, but rather that he is always being strengthened by Christ for contentment. It's like he's being plugged into a power source. He's connected to Jesus' strength, and that gives him the strength to be content in any and every circumstance. So we might say that in simple language, Paul says, I am strong for everything when Christ is strengthening me. That means that he can face anything. If he's got a lot of good stuff, great. I I can embrace that and enjoy it. If I don't have a lot, no problem. I can still give thanks to God. Not because of my own willpower, Not because Paul is sitting there with a mantra in his head or even sitting around a Thanksgiving table saying, I'm thankful this year for this. Not that that's a bad activity, but that Paul doesn't need to do those things because he has a greater source of strength. He has the strength that comes from Jesus himself, Jesus who is truly strong, who is a true source of strength because Jesus has truly lived with contentment. So he has the ability to give that to somebody else. I mean when I say Jesus has truly lived with contentment. Well, I'm going to give you a third picture. This time not of a house, but a garden. You see a man kneeling on a rock, praying. And his words come out with tears and sweat and blood. And it doesn't really sound much like contentment or thankfulness when he says, please, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Sure sounds like he wants something different, right? Until you get to the end of the prayer and suddenly that contentment rings through perfectly. As he says, not my will, but yours be done. In other words, whatever circumstances you give me, Lord, whatever you ask me to do, I'm going to do it because it's what you've given me to do right now. And he stands up and he faces the coming trial, suffering, death. And he does so ready to embrace whatever God sends his way. 
And he, this, this is Jesus who, who, as the son of God, living in heaven, had everything. He knew abundance, right? And yet he came down and emptied himself completely so that he knew low circumstances, as Paul calls them. In fact, he was so humbled that he, as Paul writes, he was obedient to death, even death on a cross, so that, as Paul says elsewhere, through his poverty, we might become rich. Even more, he came to take the worst of circumstances on our behalf. You know, I said before that our lack of thankfulness takes glory from God. It accuses him of not being good. And what should God do when that happens? What will be the right thing for a holy God who's being accused of being not good to do? How should he react? Well, how would you react? If somebody walked up to you and said, you know what, you're not very good. You know what, you hold out. You know, you're just not a very nice person. What would you do? How would you react? Would you be a little upset? How much more should the holy God, who is goodness himself, be offended when his creations say, God, you're not good enough to me, right? And how, how does, what, what, what does he have the right to do under those circumstances? How, how should he react out of that anger? And yet Jesus says, Lord, whatever you would do in your anger, do to me, not to them. Whatever punishment is right to give, give it to me, not to them. Treat them as though they always glorified you exactly as they ought to. Jesus was content to walk through whatever he was asked to do, even if that meant death itself. And that's how far he went because he loves you, he loves me, he loves all of us, and because he is good. And he was strong enough to handle that weight and strong enough to break the chains of death and come out alive at the other end. He has strength enough to spare. He can give that strength to you so that when you face difficult circumstances, when you face times of need and of lack, you can say, God is still good. He can give you the strength to be content. So what does that look like? What does that look like in day-to-day life? Notice that Paul talks about contentment in active terms. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have strength to do everything. Contentment involves putting your hands to work. This isn't, contentment in biblical terms is not some like Buddhist ideal of stoically removing all desire and just sort of sitting there, oh, I'm good. No, contentment is not passively letting things happen to you. Contentment is accepting the circumstances that God has given to you and then doing what he's called you to do under those circumstances. Think again about Naomi and Ruth. And if you haven't been picking up on that series, please go back and watch it. It's good. It's worth taking in. But if you know that story of Naomi and Ruth, you know that they didn't sit on their hands. They didn't say, oh, God has made us widows. We don't have a lot of food. Let's just sit here and see what God does, how he comes through for us. No, Naomi and Ruth, they went to work. Ruth got out and she went to the field. She gleaned. She brought home food for her and Naomi to eat so that they wouldn't starve. Naomi saw an opportunity to get Ruth a husband. So she took steps 
She made plans. She enacted things. They said, well, God has put us here, but he's also made opportunities for us. Let's take the next step. See, when you get to work, when you do the things that God has placed in front of you to do, you get out of your head. And you stop sitting there worrying about, well, has God given me enough or hasn't he? And what has he not given me? Instead, you say, well, here are the opportunities God has put in front of me and I'm gonna focus on the next right step. Okay, so that, app, that appliance that needs replacing, go through your budgets, figure out what you can afford, figure out what's gonna bless your family and go and buy it. You're not sure if these people are really your friends because they didn't invite you. Okay, you could either worry about them or you could pray for them. And maybe reach out to somebody else and say, how can I be a friend to you today? You don't like what you see going on in the world around us? Maybe God has put you in the world for that reason. You've got that passion so you can make a difference. So maybe you need to write that letter or, or, or join that organization or, or donate to that charity that's doing God's will in the world and serving people. And maybe if you don't like what you see when you look in the mirror, Maybe it's time to find a Christian friend, help you assess what changes need to happen, get some accountability for those changes, and then some encouragement when good stuff is actually happening. But remember as you do all that, once again, the strength doesn't come from you. The strength comes from Jesus. So you gotta stay connected to him. You, you gotta stay in his word. You gotta be in worship. You gotta be together with your fellow believers. That's how you stay connected to the strength that Jesus gives. And you're gonna need it. You're gonna need his strength because accepting your circumstances is easy when the circumstances are simple, not hard, right? But when the circumstances become difficult, you're gonna need his strength. Doing what God asks you to do is easy when the tasks are simple. When they get hard, you're gonna need his strength. I guarantee you the circumstances will not always be easy. The tasks will not always be simple. But he's good. He's strong. You'll be all right. So do what God has set before you to do today with his strength. That's the secret to contentment and to thanksgiving. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Timeless Truths. Whether you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener, we're glad you could join us. For more information or to support the work of St. Mark Ministries, check out our website at stmarkministries.com. Be sure to tune in next week as we wrap up our series, Home Life, Broken to Blessed. And remember, you matter and you are loved.